Um, okay, are you guys ready for Acts chapter 10 and 11? That sounds like a reasonable amount of excitement to proceed. All right, we're going to learn about Gentiles today. I don't know if there are any Jewish folks in the audience or not, but I'm going to guess that the strong majority of the people here are Gentiles. And did you know that these days the church is overwhelmed with Gentiles? There are so many more Gentiles than Jewish people in the Christian church, but did you know that that was not always the case? In fact, did you know it was a mind-blowing moment when this occurred in the church? So, this morning, instead of saying amen to something that you appreciate and agree with, uh, you're going to go like this. All right, you're going to have several chances to practice that, okay? So I'm going to go through a few mind-blowing moments in the story of the church, okay? So the first moment, you might recognize this, but this is when God came to earth. Thank you, I had one person get it. All right, this is when God came to earth. Yeah, we're up to like 25% participation. So we celebrate this at Christmas time. This is a big deal. Uh, this is a, uh, just a massive thing that God chose to join, literally and physically, join with humanity. And for eternity, will be part human. I'm not going to try to explain that. But there's something really, really massive and mind-blowing there, okay? The next thing that happens is just all the stuff that Jesus did. We're going to encapsulate that into one mind-blowing moment, right? His, I mean, he did some extraordinary things. He told the weather what to do. He told blind people to see and, and so on, okay? I mean, I don't want to minimize all the miracles, but I got a long ways to go this morning. So if everybody could just go, okay, all right. The next thing that happens is Jesus died, and he should not have died because he didn't deserve to die. And he had every bit of power to avoid dying. And so again, good, you guys are starting to get this figured out, especially with my visual cues. So the next thing that happens is... I don't know, it's hard to rate these things. You know, it's like, it's hard to rate them. But the next thing that happens is also truly extraordinary. The next thing that happens is Jesus commissions you and I to fulfill his mission, to fulfill his purpose. He tells us that we are responsible for fulfilling his purpose on earth and in the universe for eternity. Good. We're getting it. You're kind of doing the bow and doing that. It's like a reverent mind-blowing. Okay, all right. That's good, yeah. <laughs> the next thing that happens is, I mean, it just, and I, by the way, I think this is the character of God, and I think we will experience this for eternity, is to blow our minds. There seems to be something about the character of God that he just like he seems to enjoy really impressing us. And do we think God is done? No. For eternity. 
All right, but back to the story of the church. The next thing that happens is God indwells us. God indwells us. Can't explain that. Can't explain that. God indwells us. No idea why in the world God would have the desire to be with us, in us, commune with us in a very direct way. Truly extraordinary. Truly extraordinary. Now, we get up to the Gentiles. Because up until this moment, the Jewish folks had a monopoly on it was all there. I mean, Gentiles had creation. Forgot to tell that part of the story. But up until this moment, the, Gen the Jewish people had a monopoly on things. Or so they thought they had a monopoly on things. Just as a full disclaimer, this is not an anti-Semitic sermon. Genesis chapter 12. Starting in verses, verse 2 and 3, uh, this is where God first interacts with Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Now, if you're a Jewish person reading this in the days of Jesus and the apostles, you're celebrating right now. We are the stuff. We are the stuff, we Jewish people. Okay? This is the part I think that they forgot, or at the very least, grossly misinterpreted. It says, all families on earth will be blessed through you. And the understanding of that was, they were going to be such incredible people and such an incredible nation that just by default, people were going to be blessed. But God actually had something far bigger in mind than the Jewish folks could even begin to comprehend. Uh, let's go to Jonah, chapter 4. If you haven't heard the story of Jonah before, it's a fun one. It involves a big fish. Uh, Jonah is a prophet of God. So, you know, as far as the echelon goes, he's very high up. Just to let you know, if you're not familiar with, like, church status, Christian status, kingdom of God status stuff, prophets are pretty high, pretty high up there. Jonah is a prophet of God, and God has asked him to do something. He's asked him to go to this place called Nineveh and call them to repentance. And if you know anything about prophets, one thing you know is that they always do exactly what God says. You're laughing because you know the story of Jonah, right? This is the only prophet, as far as we can tell, who actually just flat out disobeys God. You know that? We don't have, there's no other record that I can think of right now. Anybody else? Got some real Bible scholars in the room. I don't think there's any other time where a, a prophet of God just says, no, not going to do it. Now, we know that Jonah is not afraid to call people to repentance. He didn't achieve prophet of God's status without having called people to repentance before that. Okay? That's not the part he's afraid of. 
In fact, he's not actually afraid of anything. The reason he runs from God and God has to turn him around with the whole fish thing is because he does not want God to do what he's pretty sure God will do. You see, he's pretty sure that if he goes there and if he calls people to repentance, these Gentiles, by the way, kind of a big part of the story, if he calls these Gentiles to repentance who do not deserve to even have the opportunity to repent, if he calls them to repentance, he's pretty sure some of them will repent. And because he knows the heart of God, he knows that God will forgive them. And God will relent and God will not bring destruction on the city of Nineveh. But Jonah wants the city of Nineveh to be destroyed because it is filled with Gentile, pagan people who are dishonoring God every day in all that they do. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. This is after Jonah has rebelled, he's gone to Nineveh, he's preached, and indeed the people have repented. There's this massive return to God revival situation in Nineveh. And God does what God does when we repent. He stays his hand of wrath. This is where we pick up the story. This change of plans by God greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say, you know, I told you so. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah knew the heart of God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew when people were confronted with their sin, many of them, if not all of them, would be convicted of that. Just kill me now. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Uh, Jonah predicted that the city would be destroyed if they did not turn. And he wants destruction. So hopefully that gives you like just this little glimpse of how the Jewish people felt about Gentiles. One of their prophets, one of the prophets of God, did not want to see the Gentiles having a piece of the pie. Did not want Gentiles in the story or in the picture. Isaiah uh, chapter 49 verse 6. God says this of the restored Israel. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. God is reminding Israel about the purpose that he has for them. Their purpose is not to just enjoy God's favor. Their purpose is not to just be an elite nation that God is watching over and protecting and blessing and just to preserve a certain culture. That's not their purpose. Their purpose isn't even to 
like lay claim and have possession of a certain piece of topography, geography. That's not their purpose. You know what the purpose of the Jewish nation is? It's to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like the church. Sounds a lot like the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples. Very, very similar, doesn't it? I mean, like really close. It's almost like God hasn't changed ever. It's almost like that. So the issue with the Jewish people, especially at the time of Christ and the apostles, the early church, their issue was they were using their privilege that they had gained because of the purpose they were given to promote further privilege, to gain further privilege, to protect privilege given. They were using their privilege to gain more privilege, where they should have been using their privilege in order to advance purpose. You see? So my thought was, what are we supposed to do with this? We Gentiles. Because uh, this story is really kind of getting after the Jewish people for forgetting their mission and God having to do dramatic things in order to remind them of what their mission was. And I thought, you know, we're in quite a privileged place now, especially you and I sitting in this room. Um, I'll just, a couple of privileges, and we could go on and on about different privilege, privileges we have, but if you have a net worth of $10,000, and I'm imagining that there are quite a few of you, I know we have some college students in the room and, that, and some younger folks, but I think there are quite a few of you who have $10,000 to your name. That puts you in the top 30%. I just did the calculations in my head, just so you know. No, I was just trying to remember. That puts you in the top 30% of wealth in the world. So we could safely call that high privilege. So do we use that privilege in order to gain more privilege? Or do we use that privilege in order to advance God's purpose that he's given to us? If you have $100,000 to your name, the story gets a lot worse. Now you're in the top 12%. No, it's $126,000, you're in the top 10%. That's what it is. And we don't even want to talk if you're a millionaire. And I know there are a few people. You guys want to raise your hands? No, probably not. <laughs> there are a few people in the room who are millionaires, and that puts you in the top 1% of world wealth by the most conservative estimates. So we would have to call that certainly great privilege. Wherever you're at, if you don't have $10,000 to your name, this guilt trip is not for you at all. Just relax. Just relax. Just keep living the way you're living. But for the rest of us, I have $10,000 to my name. A little bit more than that, actually. For the rest of us, there's there's a weight of responsibility in terms of how we will use our privilege. Um, 
Did you know that in this room we're not Republican or Democrat? Oh, whoa, hey, this is getting political now. But did you know in this room we're followers of Christ? And we are children of the King? And so one of the privileges we have in a world that is politically chaotic, one of the privileges we have is we can see things from a different perspective. We are not obligated to get caught up in the headlines of whichever media we have chosen, chosen to take in. We have this privilege of being able to think clearly, think eternally, think real, truly big picture. We have this privilege, and so we ought to use that very wisely. We actually have the privilege as citizens in the U.S. to highly influence the outcome of things. Whew. That's a lot of privilege. And we could keep going on with privileges. I'm going to read you the story from Acts chapter 10 because that's where I'm supposed to be teaching out of today. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. So this was somebody who was a Gentile, but really understood who the one true God was and was pursuing him outside of Judaism. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. By the way, if you were wondering what to do with that wealth, there's a verse somewhere in the Bible that says that wealthy people ought to be rich in good deeds, that they should always be willing to share. So if you're looking for a way out, that's the way out. That's the way to know your heart is in the right place. That's how the rich man passes through the eye of the needle. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius started at, or stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Don't think things go unnoticed. We're not earning our way to heaven. But things get noticed. Now send him into Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So one of the things we know from Scripture is that any time an angel enters the scene, something big is happening. One of these moments. Something big is happening. God needs a massive change to occur, and so angels are sent in. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. This often happens to me. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Uh, I take it back. There has been, there are other instances of prophets being resistant to God. 
No, Lord, Peter declared. Peter, man. Wow. Um, but he has, he has some rationale for it. He's, it's not a no like, I'm going to be rebellious. It's no like, I know I should be saying no. I'm really confused, I think. He says, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. Maybe Peter just thinks he's being tested. <laughs> he's been tested before. <laughs> But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. <laughs> I love that. You guys know the story of Peter very well? Jesus is all about three times with Peter. This will take a while. He's like in his council in heaven. You guys, this is going to take a while. At least three times. I know Peter. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. I'm going to fast forward through the story. I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Peter's starting to clue in. Hmm. This is pretty crazy. Um, really wild. Now, Peter has been introduced to Gentiles before. Jesus has traveled into Gentile territory. Jesus has ministered to Gentile folks before. Jesus know there's, knows there's, there's something going on. So he has some idea. He goes to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius asks him to share what's going on. And Peter proclaims the gospel in a very Jewish way. Uh, let's see. I don't know if I can find the verse quick like uh, verse 34 then peter replied i see very clearly that god shows no favoritism like so he's saying like i get it in every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right but then he says this is the message of good news for the people of israel <laughs> he's having a hard time giving it up he's struggling with this but he goes ahead and he proclaims the full gospel and as he is sharing the gospel the Holy Spirit comes and fills Cornelius and various members of his house and begins speaking in tongues. Verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. God's trying to make it as clear as possible. He's filling them in such, such a way, in this particular case, that it's undeniable that God is doing a massive work. Get this. So he gave, oh, sorry. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized? Because he's been objecting this whole time. And he's in a culture, he's in a... a a background. His whole, the whole trajectory of his life was rejecting this moment. But then he has to ask that question, can anyone object? Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
after Canarius asked him to stay with him for several days. Um, pretty awesome that Gentiles were grafted into the church, don't you think? I mean, unless we have a lot of Jewish folks here, which there may be more than I'm thinking of, this is working out really well for us. That God cares for all of humanity. That we are all invited into his story. The practical application in my mind in all of this is we are privileged people. We are so incredibly privileged. We are privileged beyond privilege, and then there's privilege on top of that. And I'm not doing like critical race theory or something like that. I'm just saying we're incredibly privileged. How will we use our privilege? How will we use our privilege to advance the purpose that God has for us? Would you join me in prayer? I would pray that you would help us get really clear about what your purpose for us in this life is. And that you would help us see clearly the privilege that you have given us in so many different areas and that you would fill us with passion to use every ounce of our privilege to advance your great purpose. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just like a regular high school student, right? But after that, I started developing anxiety, depression, you know, all things that come with PTSD. And that was something that I didn't really acknowledge for a really long time. Um, but now I realize that it, it did stem from the trauma that I faced as a high schooler. great childhood. I was really fortunate to have two amazing parents um, and an older sister who, you know, bullied me just like every older sister, but not anything more, you know. So it was, it was a good childhood and I bounced from Colorado and then I moved to North Carolina when I was six. Uh, my mom always believed in God and I always believed in God. So, went to church in North Carolina. I only went to church, like, periodically because I also played competitive softball. So a lot of my weekends were taken up by sports in the blistering North Carolina heat. Um, when I was 14, I moved back to Colorado and did all of my high school years in Colorado uh, and in my senior year of high school. Um, there was a school shooting where I lost one of my best friends. Um, and that was kind of like a make it or break it moment for me regarding my faith. And you know, the questions that were going through my mind, like is Claire in heaven or hell right now? Did she have a relationship with God? Um, what could have been a different outcome if, I, you know, like kind of the blame, but not the blame. Like if I was a better Christian, if I had a better relationship with Jesus, could I have done something differently? So it kind of felt like I was looking at the world like through a window, like I was there, but I wasn't there at the same time. And then throughout that numbness, there was the questioning of if this were me, if I were the one that were shot, where would I be? 
you know, going back to Claire, where is Claire right now? And just like the knowledge of, I believe in Jesus and I've been to church and I have that knowledge, but I don't truly have that relationship. Like what, what does that mean for my soul? And that was kind of a turning point for me of, yeah, I'm a Christian, but am I actually a Christian, right? Like I practice the religion aspect of it, but not the relationship aspect of it. I made that pretty firm decision, maybe not like an outward decision, but an inward decision of, okay, I need to, I need to get my life back in order. Yes, I've been baptized, but nothing in my life changed to show that I was baptized. Um, and now I'm truly at a place where I have been feeling the pull to be rebaptized and to publicly affirm my relationship and my faith in Christ. Um, and since I moved here to Alaska, I feel like this is the place where God has me and this is where God wants me to build this community and to really be a part of this community and a part of, you know, have people on my faith journey and faith walk here with me. So I feel like these are the people that I'm supposed to be reaffirming my faith to. Gavin, everybody. You wore the right t-shirt today. Way to go. All right. Okay. Uh, in keeping with the example of Jesus, you have presented yourself uh, today for the sacrament of baptism. Uh, baptism is not itself a door to salvation, but rather is an outward sign of the new birth which God has wrought in your heart. It proclaims to all the world that you have taken Christ Jesus as your Lord and that it is your purpose to always obey him. In order uh, for us to hear testimony of what God has done for you, I have uh, a long question for you. Do you believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ suffered in your place on the cross, that he died but rose again, that he now sits at the Father's right hand until he returns to judge all people on the last day. Do you believe in the Holy Scriptures as the inspired word of God? That by the grace of God, every person has the ability and responsibility to choose between right and wrong, and that those who repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus are justified by faith? Okay. Well. You want a hand? Yeah. And we're going to have to hold on to that stool as you sit down. Okay. Please join me in prayer uh, for Gavin. Father, we thank you for this incredible moment, for the opportunity to share it with Gavin. We thank you for your incredible work that you have been doing in her work, or in her life, and in her heart. Uh, Father, we thank you for preserving her and keeping her and watching over her. Uh, we thank you for the abundance of just grace that you will um, unleash in her life as she continues to surrender her life to you and to follow after you. And so, Father, um, we baptize Gavin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>
Okay. Thanks. Awesome. All right. Well, everybody say welcome home. All right. Awesome. Thank you. If you would please stand. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful week. I'm guessing Gavin will. <laughs>